I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. If you'd like to participate in our new trivia series, DM at Pada Bing on Instagram. Also, we have merch. Many people asked, so I did a limited run. You can get shirts and mugs at potabing.bigcartel.com. That's potabing.bigcartel.com. Finally, please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Potabing on Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and being part of this journey. Coming up is my conversation with Max Casella. Max played Benny Fazio on the show. Max called in from New York City while working on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel to share his soprano story and more. Special thanks to Max for taking some time to do the pod. So here it is, my chat with Max Casella. Thanks for listening. Max, thank you for doing the podcast. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you've been in the game for a long time. I want, I want you to go way back for a second. How did Doogie Hauser happen for you? Well, let's see. So that was 1989. So I've been acting for about 10 years by that point. Um, mostly doing theater in Boston and a little bit of uh, local television in Boston. And I had just gotten a, like one or two uh, nationwide network guest spots. I'm like the Equalizer, Kate and Alley. Yeah. And the pilot season of 1989, I was freelancing with a bunch of different agents, uh, which you could do back then. I don't know if you could still do that, but I, I had like five different agencies that were sending me out on pilots and, I got got close on, a, on one, or, one or two and then didn't work out. And then Doogie came along and uh, I just happened to get lucky with that one. Now, uh, so you've been acting pretty much your whole life. Was this something that you kind of, like, what role did your parents play in sort of being a catalyst for you or not? Um, they weren't that involved in me early on. I guess I started when I was like 12. Yeah. So other than just... Uh, taking me on the subway to go to a rehearsal for whatever play I was doing. They weren't really involved in that. Uh, they supported it because they were both sort of, uh, my father wanted to be an actor in, in the fifties and uh, he was always interested in movies. And uh, so they were totally supportive, but they weren't involved in any way. And I wasn't even until I was like 18, I didn't really get, serious with an agent or anything i was just getting jobs and plays and some local tv just through my own connections and just working yeah are you are you from boston yeah well, i'm from cambridge right outside okay you came into the sopranos in season three your character benny fazio yeah what's the yeah. what's the backstory on the sopranos how did that show happen for you all right well Simply, uh, so I started, what was it, 2000, uh, the year 2000. So they were in the, starting their third season. And I was an old friend of one of the writers, Frank Renzulli. Yes. Uh, writer of season one and two and creator of some of the 
more memorable characters like Bobby Bacala and sure. people like that. Sure. Uh, Frankie was a friend of mine from Boston. You know, he's like nine years older than me. He's like a big brother of mine. And when I booked Doogie Hauser and moved to LA and I was like 21, I was a young 21, never really still living with my mom and hadn't really, didn't even have a, you know, driver's license or anything like that. I didn't know anyone in LA except Frankie. Uh, Frankie, I didn't know that well up until that point, but I'd known him through the theater scene in Boston and, and a little bit in New York City. We had friends in common and, and a friend of mine was like, yeah, when you get out there, call Frankie. Cause I was like, uh, didn't know anyone out there. And so I, I called Frankie when I got out there, I was shooting the pilot for Doogie. I called Frankie who I knew a little bit and, you know, he took me around and he, you know, helped me, uh, learn how to drive and we became very close friends. He became like a big brother and, uh, cut to like years later, Sopranos is happening and he's writing on that show. And then when I, I moved back from LA to New York and was doing the uh, revival of the Music Man on Broadway. I went up for an audition for uh, The Sopranos for, I think, the role of Jackie Jr. was the first time. I read for the role of Jackie Jr. and Frankie, and I had not actually seen The Sopranos. I didn't have HBO or anything. But because of my connection to Frankie, I was given uh, uh, a script on the down low. I wasn't really supposed to have it as a actor auditioning for the show but he got me a script he got me on the phone with himself and terrence winter who was a protege of frankie's at the time frankie brought terrence winter onto the sopranos Mm. uh because uh frankie gave terry one of his first jobs as a writer in hollywood as uh, a writer on frankie's show the great defender which starred michael raspoli which unfortunately didn't go to series but um so I got on the phone with Frank and Terry and they sort of gave me the, uh, you know, the cliff notes of what the show is about and what to expect in the audition. So I went in and I read for, te- uh, for, for David Chase, who was uh, sort of an in- intimidating figure, very stoic guy, if you don't know him. And uh, I thought the audition was a disaster. It was terrible. And this, uh, is the, this is just for clarification, this audition you're referring to is the audition for Jackie? Junior? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Jackie okay. Junior. So I go in there and there's a whole bunch of like, you know, uh other actors there and and I guess they're pairing people up and stuff. And I, I, I just choked. It choked. I was so nervous. And I was sort of pissed off at myself. Didn't get the, the job and I thought I wouldn't probably get another crack at it. And I was sort of disappointed that I felt like I let down Frankie, who was really pulling for me. But then I got another call to go in and read for the uh dual roles of Matt Bevilacqua, which ended up going to Lilo Brancato. Yeah. And the other guy, I forget the character's name of Matt Bevilacqua's a friend who they both ended up getting killed. Right. I forget the name. Uh, so I read, I read both those guys. In fact, I went in with Lilo and read one guy while he read the other. And then I would read uh, the Bevilacqua guy and he'd read the other guy. And then Lilo ended up getting uh, Bevilacqua, and again, I I felt like I choked and and let myself down because uh, it's a really tough room. It's a tough room. You go in there. I mean, I you know they get on the subway, go down to go down to Long Island City and Queens, and go to Silver Cup, and uh, and yeah, I was pissed off at myself. And actually, it was, I remember 
I remember thinking, fucking thing, I'm never going back again. I'm not reading again for this show. I'm like, I'm not going to do that to myself. And I'm just wasting their time. And and yet, to my surprise, I got a third crack at the uh, Apple with um, ben, Benny Fazio. So I went in. I'm trying to remember if I didn't read for yet a third role that I ended up getting Benny, but I didn't read for the part of Benny. But my memory is a little fuzzy on this score because we're going back like 19 years now. What did you do differently? You were 0 for 2. Not a, you were not 0 for a damn 2. thing. Okay. Not a damn thing. I mean, to my surprise, David Chase really liked me. Yeah. And uh, I, even though I was tense and uptight, he saw something in me and he liked it. He kept bringing me back trying to find the right thing. Huh. But I felt I felt really out of place because I'm not a not a New Yorker. I wasn't raised, uh, even though my mother's Italian, Southern Italian American, and my parents are New Yorkers. I was raised in Cambridge, out totally outside of the whole Italian American cultural experience. Yeah, uh, very far away from any mob related uh, people like that. My parents were intellectuals. My father's Jewish, a newspaper man. Uh, very left wing, and uh, grew up in the Bronx. And my mother is very—they're both activists, both left wing leaning. Yeah. My mother was sort of a, a hipster, growing up in the fifties in the village, hanging out with artists and stuff. And I grew up in Cambridge, a lot of bunch, you know, you know, hippy dippy types, and very, very uh, politically left wing activist types. And the, the world of the Sopranos was way, way far out of my experience, and I felt like it showed in my auditions for these for these characters. Interesting. And I felt like even after being on the show, I felt like I was going to, you know, I was, I wasn't really like, you know, the real deal. And I was like going to get found out or I was going to be exposed as an imposter or something like that. Even though, you know, acting is all, you know, role playing, but of course I just felt, I just felt like I was sort of lucky to be there and was kind of, I don't know. I felt like sort of insecure not to be like a New York, a true New Yorker, even though I was, I've been living in New York since I was 18, except for the time I spent in LA during Doogie and, and, the, few, and the years after that. No, I've um, heard, I've heard from many people that were involved in the show that they had a very strong preference for New York people. And it was very hard for California actors and actors from other places to feel like they had a place or feel comfortable. So, um, your sentiment echoes that completely. It's fascinating. Uh, it's fascinating that you got three shots, you know, uh, uh on, uh, you didn't watch the show, but were you aware of how big it was? You had to have been right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, very aware, very aware. And by that time, I was I was living in New York, and uh, yeah, Sopranos was a big deal at that point. And again, I was I was uh, very old, close friends with Frank Renzulli, so I was, which helps, man. I was aware of that. Yeah, it totally helped. Totally helped. I Warm mean, intros are better than cold intros. You know, they always say that, and it's absolutely. so true. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You have uh, you have the unique distinction of being on both The Sopranos and Analyze This. And as you, I'm sure you're aware, hopefully there's a story in here somewhere. Was there any Soprano talk on the set of that movie, competition, commentary, or otherwise? Was there like an awareness or like a some sort of a rivalry, if that makes any sense? Uh, not to my knowledge. Okay. Um, even though, like, so I, I shot that, scene in 1999 right about when the sopranos was just coming out I yeah think, right yeah and they're very similar you know mob guys in therapy that, that uh even though the analyze this was sort of a light-hearted comedy sure uh very different in tone but i mean i i didn't hear anything i mean again i was there i i worked i think one day yeah on that movie yeah 
uh, the, the scene with De Niro. I mean, I, I was there one day. Uh, Sopranos hadn't even entered my consciousness. Your lexicon. I had to ask just because of the timing and because it's rare to see both uh, yeah. people in both shows. Um, yeah. So how many how many Bennies were you up against? Um, I had David Proval on the podcast and he used the expression cousins. When you go into an audition room, there's a bunch of cousins in the hallway. Were there any other cousins in the hallway for Benny or were you, was it pretty locked up when you got there for the third time? Um, again, I, I don't remember if I actually read the role of Benny, or if that wasn't something that just gave me. That's after right. Reading. That's right. Other ones. I can't remember that, but, uh, it, I don't know what David means by cousins. I assume he means something like when you go to these, auditions for mob guys you see all the usual suspects all the faces come out all the italians yeah yeah are there. that's what he meant a lot of you know like the goomba actors league you know um <laughs> you see a lot of those guys yeah for sure for sure yeah and i always felt like they were the real thing and i was like i couldn't compete you know being not not a new yorker you know or not Italian enough, because I remember hearing definitely that they weren't seeing any actors who weren't real Italians, like they weren't doing like lookalikes. Right. And, you know, I'm half, I'm half Italian. My mother's Italian. My father's an Eastern European Jew. And I felt like, well, I just felt like, you know, I was not the real thing. And, but it was a great dream of mine to be doing something like the Sopranos. And I was in a show, this uh, show on Broadway, the, the music man. And I, and I hated it. I was miserable in it. And it wasn't what the kind of thing I wanted to be doing. The Sopranos was exactly the kind of thing I wanted to be doing. Sure. Um, and I was just, just filled with pangs of jealousy for the actors who were on the, the Sopranos well, week after week. You kind of just asked, you just kind of just maybe answered my next question. You were Owen two, but you had like a decorated acting kind of like filmography. Like if you do an IB, IMDB deep dive on you, you have a lot of work under your belt when you get to the Sopranos. Did you feel, did you have to give yourself like a head check when you saw that like Lilla Broncato and Jason Serbone were getting cast and you weren't? Did that play into it at all? Or was that just sort of like say la vie? Like, are you that comfortable? Like that's kind of how the business no, goes. No, no, back then, back then I'm nowhere near I was nowhere near as confident in myself as I am now. Yeah. Um, I felt like confident in my, in my, well, it's weird, you know, in some, some ways I was confident, in other ways, very not. But yeah. no, when I used to see Lilo and, uh, well, Jason, I didn't know who, who he was. I'd never seen him before. Lilo, I was aware of from the Bronx tale. Sure. And, uh, no, I felt like really, you know, I, I had a lot, you know, a lot of, you know, low confidence about yeah. the work I had done up to that point, the kind of stuff I had done, I thought was kind of like just, you know, silly. Uh, you know, I'd done the, the, the Lion King on Broadway. I was the original Timon in the Lion King, which was a beautiful show and I was proud to be in it. But at the time I was like, it's like Disney cartoon stuff and I don't belong in the Sopranos, this hyper-realism. And I, yeah, I, don't, I, I just felt, uh, I was in a way, way different place 19 years ago than I am now. Yeah. What's your take on Benny? Who was he? That's a good question. I I don't know. I mean, um, Benny was as you what you what you see there. He's yeah. just, he was a small player, man. He's just like a soldier. Benny Benny never really got developed as a character that I could really delve into telling you about about him. I I would just find out when I got the scripts. I go, oh, I see. Oh, he's got a wife. Okay, I got a wife. Oh, I got a, a baby on the way. Oh, you know, 
Like I've heard from other actors on the show that had like parts that weren't fully developed that did like a backstory in their own head to sort of like get into the headspace of the character. Did you do that with Benny or did you just kind of work it through whatever you were given? Like, did you backstory him in your mind to get in the headspace? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, I rarely do that anyway. I don't really do, do, do any backstory. I just, uh, I take the scenes, I figure out what's going on. I was just getting back into acting class at that time. So I was working hard with like, you know, what my intentions were in each line, how to, how to physicalize my intentions on each line. And, uh, I just played this as it was given. Uh, I'm an old pro, you know, just like I've been acting my whole life. And even before I started acting, I mean, playing make believe as a kid, sure. I just never, never stopped playing make believe. So I don't, it's not for me. I like to do research on characters and I, and I do, and I, but backstory is not something like as a thing, like I, I ever consider. Okay. Fair enough. Um, you appeared in 28 episodes beginning in season three, like I mentioned, and continuing through the series finale. You were in some of the best episodes, Fortunate Son, Telltale Muzadel, White Caps, All Due Respect. There's an episode where there's a setup where your character takes out the two guys who were hired to kill Carmine. A really memorable scene, really cinematic. Any memories from shooting that sequence or that day? We're talking about the two, uh, the two black guys under the bridge? Yes, that scene. It's one of the most now memorable scenes. Tell me that they, they were going to kill Carmine. I don't even. I don't even know that. You didn't know that. Yeah. So they were. So they <laughs> if were. I knew it. I forgot. <laughs> so Christopher. Christopher commissioned them to put a hit on Carmine, and then Tony calls it off. Oh, see, Tony yeah, calls yeah, it right. off. And no, then, that's right. That's and right. And then yeah. Benny and one of Benny's associates were tasked with basically telling them right, that right, it right. wasn't going to go me through. Me and my buddy uh, Jeff. Jeff Marchetti, who there was you actually go. a set, set dresser on the show throughout the entire time. But then he would also play, play uh, his part. Um, Any memories from that day? Or that's, that, that particular... I gotta tell you, man. I mean, I remember the, the, the World Cup was going on in Korea, I think, at the time. We were watching <laughs> it on the set. That's really all I remember from that's that awesome. day. That's awesome. No, that's awesome. And yeah. I remember uh, uh, being worried about the, 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 the gun. Uh, just worried about not pulling the trigger out of nervousness before it was supposed to because it was like had a blank in it or something like that or it had a uh, a cap in it or something but no not really honest to god i don't have i don't have any memories of more other than that on that of that day i remember being down there under the bridge and i remember watching the uh the world cup on the on a monitor i love it uh, everybody was crowded around watching watching one of the i think watching italy Oh yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm sure they were. Yeah. They were. They probably had a really good team yeah. back then too. Yeah, I know they yeah. had a few. They, yeah. they had a few I don't know deep if, they, if they won that year, or was the year they won? There was one was year the in one that after. era. Yeah, for it sure. Was the 2000. It was the 2002 World Cup. That's when it was. Okay. This is sort of a reach question here, but Benny's one of the survivors in the saga of this story. I mean, the last thing we see Benny is driving away uh, after Phil Leotardo gets killed. Any thoughts yeah. or theories on what became of Benny in the aftermath? Um, no, but I will say that I always sort of resented the fact that Benny wasn't the one to pull the trigger on Phil Leotardo since it was him, Benny and the other guy played by my buddy, Frank John Hughes. I forget the name of his role, uh, but it was me and Frank pull up and Frank jumps out and pops Phil. Yeah. But Phil, it should have been me popping him because he's the one who put me in the hospital. <laughs> I just thought that was just like an insensitive oversight on the writer's side. It's like, why would you have Benny be the one? I'm right there. I'm yeah. right there. 
And Benny was super loyal, man. Super likable from day yeah, one. Yeah, he was always yeah, he was always yeah. what he was watching guard. He was driving. He did whatever yeah, he was he took told. All, took all those. Took a lot of beatings for the team. He took a lot. He he took a lot of Benny hits was for the team. Getting getting his, getting his ass beat. So you briefly mentioned your initial encounter with David Chase. Looking back, nineteen years now, or you know, even ten years, what stands out to you the most about him? Oh, I have a lot of. Uh, I mean, obviously, I have a huge amount of respect for him as a writer. I think the, you, the more you see TV, I go up for TV shows all the time. I'm always reading TV scripts, and you just see the difference. Even amongst the good shows, you just see how The Sopranos was on another level in the writing altogether, you know. Uh, David Chase, the kind of guy I like, I really, I really liked him a lot. I mean, he was a very, very low-key guy, very kind of stoic but I've worked with people like that before, and I'm very, you know, comfortable with that. You know, he's like, but he would put me aside at like the end of the year party and say, I want you to know I've noticed how good you are on the show, and it's my intention to give you give you some more stuff to do. We have a lot of characters though, and it's tough, but I really uh I I respect what you're doing. Uh years later he told my friend uh, John Totoro over dinner that he always wanted to use me a lot more, but that at first he sort of had a stuck in his head of for me being a Doogie Hauser, uh was sort of in the way a bit because of just him knowing me from Doogie Hauser that maybe that was sort of he couldn't get that image out of his head a little bit and uh, but years years after the fact he said he regretted not not giving me more to do because he really he was really liked the work I was doing. That's interesting. Yeah. And imagine it's, it is, I'm not, I'm a civilian. I'm not in the business, but like this whole notion of like being typecast, it's a real thing, you know? And it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, hard for to, sure. I mean, you have you're to be known for a, for a thing. It takes, takes years for people to forget about it. You know, it takes a lot of work, years of, of work to, you know, sort of move on from that. Yeah. Interesting. Can you share a fond memory of time spent with Michael Imperioli? You did a lot of your work with him on that show. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We did. We had a lot of lot of scenes. Most of my scenes were with Michael. Michael's a great guy. I uh, just ran into him the other day, actually on the street. And uh, he's got a he's a novelist now. He's got a book out. Yeah, he was a guest. He was in studio here. We talked about. We talked a lot about his book. He's wrote about Lou Reed. Uh, yeah, guy. yeah. It's the, the the perfume burned his eyes. He actually just sent me a, a copy. He's very nice of him. Uh, I love Michael. Michael's one of the good guys, man. He's one of the good guys. We had a good time. Do you have anything you can share uh, um, from your time with James Gandolfini? James was, uh, you know, like like everybody says, you know, was a incredibly beautiful human being, man. Just uh, just an amazing guy, you know. And uh, but again, it took me a, a a long time to feel comfortable on, uh, around the, the other cast members, just because you know, like I was saying, we're feeling like sort of. I didn't fit in or what have you. And, uh, it was such a great show and I loved what everybody else was doing and I didn't have a lot, the confidence then. So I just felt like, you know, I was sort of didn't belong in the room most of the time, uh, which is ridiculous, but that's just kind of like, I had to grow out of that. I hadn't, I hadn't done that yet. Jimmy was just, he was always like, whenever, whenever he had an opportunity, he would always give me a boost of confidence and he'd tell me what a good job I was doing. And when they finally gave me some, uh, extra material, like I had an episode where me and Artie Bucco get into a beef. Yeah. He was like, I'm glad they finally gave you something. You deserve it. 
Uh, you've been doing such a good, such good work. Uh, when when he got his big uh, raise from HBO to do another season, he manned the phones and got on 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 the horn with everybody at HBO, made sure we all got raises. And it wasn't just a matter of just you know making one phone call. Like he had to really work hard to like organize it. And uh, so he got a raise. He made damn sure we all got a raise. It's very cool. I've heard that. I've heard that story before. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Did you watch the show in its entirety? Did you become a fan after the fact? I think. Well, I was a fan for sure. Um, I don't know if I've seen all all of them, but uh, yeah, on, on DVD I have. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you watch your work in general? Like, do you watch your stuff or do you let it go once you're done? I always watch it uh, at least once. Just the 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 work that I've done. I have to see how it came out. How they cut it. Well, how they cut it and how I did, you know, yeah. if I have to, uh, if I could, you know, see, I'm always looking, you know, I'm always, always constantly trying to get better. So, uh, yeah, I watch everything. I, I just, just once. Do you have a favorite episode and why? Uh, I don't know, man. Favorite episode. I guess like everybody else, the Pine Barrens is probably my favorite. It's just because it's just it's just a great episode. You're but, not. Uh, you're not. You're not in that one. No, I'm not. Uh-uh. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say a name, and you say the first word that comes to your mind. Okay. James Gandolfini. Oh man, big bear, love lovable bear. David Chase. Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is unique. That is super unique. I love that. I love David Chase, man. But yeah. Yeah, he, he's a scary guy. He, if you don't know him. <laughs> to- Tony Sirico. Silver. Michael Imperioli. Nose. <laughs> since, <laughs> since The Sopranos, you've appeared on Boardwalk Empire, Vinyl, The Night Of, which I love, by the way, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which my wife and I also love, by the way, and Ray Donovan. Um, how much Soprano influence exists on those shows and sets? Is there any Soprano energy in the air? Like the essence of the question is like, since the Sopranos has been wrapped, um, how, how much of an influence does it have on these other shows that are big in today's scene? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask maybe some writers, but I think, you know, Sopranos raised the bar for TV in general. I think it started, started the whole golden age of television as it's called. Yeah. The new, new golden age of television. And so it really started with the Sopranos. From what I can see, it's when you work in New York, New York crews are there's a lot of the same guys, you know, that, so I see guys I worked with on the Sopranos every time I work in New York, you know, and I work almost exclusively here. And I'm always seeing guys I work with on The Sopranos. It's a lot of the same people. Uh, but but as far as like uh, content, I think yeah, I think um, Sopranos raised the bar as far as writing goes on TV and character development. And I think that's that's you just all the how good all these shows are now. Sopranos sort of like opened the door. Not to mention the, a lot of the writers on The Sopranos, like Matt Weiner and Terry Winter, had gone on to make their own shows. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, and they all, they all kind of learned a lot from, uh, working with David Chase. Were you on Mad Men at all? No, I never was on Mad Men. Okay. Never. That was filmed in LA, I believe. I was an LA crew. 
Lots of young people will hear this. Um, a lot of first-time watchers of the show, um, one of our biggest audiences on the podcast, people that would love to have the kind of career that you've had. What do you know about acting and or the business now that you wished you'd known at the beginning? Well, the business has changed so much uh, from when I started out. So I don't know if it would have mattered if I knew anything. I, you know, you're, you're working the time you're working in. I think that if I could say to myself as a younger man, I think the biggest thing would be, well, you have to really, as an actor, particularly you're starting out, you're, you're, you're seeing all your heroes, you know, you want to be like, you know, like for me and a lot of people, most people I'd say, particularly at my age and older even, uh, it was like all about Brando and, and De Niro and Pacino and Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman and Jack Nicholson. Um, and and I don't know, I can only speak for myself, but I had to get over, it took me years to get over the fact that I'm not like any of those guys. And how could I ever hope to be like as great as they are? Um, it's impossible. And I just literally, if I thought about it, would want to quit. But the only thing that kept me from quitting is, is that I love to act and I would always fall back on my own unique personality. You know, that's just bringing myself to everything, you know. And I think now, now that I'm older and it took me years, years and years, and I went back to acting class and I really got a lot of confidence from going back to class because I sort of just got on Doogie Howser and I was off to the races and I didn't really finish my education. and. Now my confidence is very in my and, and my faith in my unit myself. I don't have to be like anybody else. I am I am who I am. There's no one else like me. And if I'm not a a, a millionaire and a, and like a hugely popular actor who's like starring in movies, it's got nothing to do with me. I'm doing my job. You know, I'm doing my job, and I I love to act. You know, uh, the, with the winds of the business, the, the way the wind blows, that's, the, that's just going to do what it does. You can't control that. You can only control what you do. You, what you have to yeah. do is you got to develop yourself as an actor, as a human being. You got to develop yourself. You have to develop your voice, your, your talent, your, you have to, you know, develop your body. You have to develop who you are. You kind of have to invent yourself. That doesn't mean you have, you play the same role all the time. I play different roles all the time. I play Jack Valenti from Houston, Texas, yeah. and uh, Jackie. Um, I mean, I play like a million different different roles, and they're they're vastly different. But I'm always always bringing myself to it because within each person, there's a multitude of people. They're all you, but you have many facets. So I approach every role as if like this is as if it's me, Max. If I was born in Houston in the thirties and grew up in this guy's life, but it's still me. Well said. I want to go back to something you just said a moment ago. You said you found confidence in, uh, when you went back to acting class, what did you find in acting class that you weren't finding someplace else? Well, first of all, I found out that I was good. Okay. I found out that I was good and that I'm a natural, you know, and, and, uh, I could see the way, the way I was working in class when I started to really work correctly. And not go to results. You know, you work in TV, you're young and you get out to Hollywood, you start working on a TV series. And, you know, I was doing good, but I was, I was sort of, I was like, you go directly to results and you don't like to think about the process of it. 
and I, to the point where I, I, I went to class, back to, back to class around 2002, I was already on The Sopranos, but I was very depressed about and thinking like I wanted to either quit acting or do something else, but there's nothing else I thought I could think I wanted to do. So I went back to class to figure out if I really want to act. If, I, if someone said, you're never going to be rich, would you still do it? And I went back to class and I found out that absolutely, yeah, this is what I want to do, whatever happens. So I'm going to, guess what? I'm going to become the best fucking actor I can be because life's too short not to be great at whatever you choose to do. You just do, do your best. Don't, you know, so I, I learned to, to f- fall in love with the process of the whole thing. And I, fig- and I look, figured out really quick in class that I was really, really good. And that was like a huge, and then right after around that time, I did a play with John Turturro and that was another huge conference boost I did two plays with John Turturro. One was uh, uh, this Italian play called The Questi Fantasmi, and this other one was called Endgame by uh, Samuel Beckett mm. at BAM, Brooklyn Academy of Music. And uh, there were critical successes. Turturro was, became a friend of mine. He was like, you're a big actor. You're a big actor. you got to speak up more in rehearsal, though. You know, and he like, filled me with confidence. So, Well, coming from him, that's, that's got to give you a ton of If that doesn't give you confidence, what will, right? Huge, huge, huge. Yeah. I'm like... I'm on the stage every night with this guy, toe to toe with like with Muhammad Ali of acting. Amazing. And like, I'm like going blow, blow for blow with the guy. And we're feeding off each other. We're passing the ball back and forth. Like we're fucking having a great time. Oh yeah. It was a hugely transformative experience. That's awesome. You know, one thing I know, I, I don't know him, but I know the, the night of, and I know the backstory about how that was James Gandolfini's project. And he right. had to, he had to fill those shoes and what, a, and everybody who loves the Sopranos and loves James Gandolfini's work was looking to him to see like, okay, what are you going to bring to this character? And he hit right. it, out, he hit it out of the park. And that's just a testament to the, yeah. to filling those right. shoes, not only filling those shoes, but then executing and making it his own, you know? That's what you do. I mean, that's, he, he, he did it the way he does it. It was been very different. It had Jimmy done it. Exactly. It would completely different. Exactly. But you don't try to fill shoes. You try to, you just do your own You do your thing. own thing. There's no, there's no shoes there to fill. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a role and now it's yours and now you got to do it your own way. You can't even think about anybody else. Well said. Besides uh, a couple more questions and I'll let you get out of here. Uh, besides work, what do you enjoy in life? What are you passionate about? Oh, my kids. I, my kids are my passion. How many kids? Um, I got two beautiful daughters. Awesome. Uh, they're, they're still young. They're like one's 14, the other one's 11. And uh, they're the joy of my life. I love, uh, there's a lot of things. I, I, I love playing video games. They're, they bring me immense pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I love, I've been writing. I love, love to write. I've been writing about my childhood. And... Yeah. Is there a memoir? Is there a memoir in the offing? Well, right now I'm it's, I'm writing it. It's a TV series form as a half hour comedy. Okay. Uh, it may end up as a memoir at some point or a film or something like that. Well, I, I don't think, really know yet. I was thinking in the back of my head while you were talking about you and Frank Renzulli, him teaching you how to drive and stuff. I was like, that's a series right there. A, a little ten part. Oh yes, right, right. He used to love to like I like try to drive on the freeway for the first time and I was my heart was in my mouth I'd be pulling up on the on the on-ramp and unbeknownst to me he just slipped the car into fucking neutral and suddenly I'm not going anywhere and I'd like have a have a panic attack or I'd be on the freeway and he'd just go look out and bam and smack the side of the door and jump up you know and like scare the shit out of me that's the kind of shit he used to do to me he used to really torture me um 
what's on your plate these days? What do you have? What's coming out? What's on, what's in the pipeline? What are you working on now? Uh, the blacklist at the moment, I just finished the blacklist okay. and I have a film called the rhythm section. That's, uh, coming out this year, this, uh, with, uh, Blake Lively and Jude Law, that Reed Milano directed. And I'm in, uh, late night with Mindy Kaling, which just sold to Amazon for some ungodly sum, like $15 million or something. Wow. At Sundance. Last Sundance, I was, I'm in this film, uh, Night Comes On, which I'm not sure if it's come out yet or not. Um, Jordana Spiro directed, and, uh, I'm gonna start up with more Mrs. Maisel, I think, in around March. Oh, good, good. I was, I, I, I'm going through season two right now, and I only saw you once in that season one, and then I'm like, where, where'd he go? Why isn't he? I'm in the end of, uh, the, the finale of season two, and okay. I become, uh, I become, uh, uh, Tony Shalhoub's lawyer in it. Oh, nice. Okay. Oh, yeah. you just spoiled it for yeah. me, and I'm just kidding. Uh, Sorry. That's great. Um, finally, have you read anything good lately? Uh, I'm embarrassed to say no. I mean, okay. I'm not. I'm not a big uh, reader of books. What is your video game of choice? What is your favorite? Like, what's one of your favorites or one of your annual favorites? Oh, uh, I mean, any Legend of Zelda, I go back to constantly. Okay. I love. Uh, so you Metroid. play the OG? Do you play the OG like uh, consoles, like the like Nintendo, or like the the newer? Well, the thing is, no, I don't have the old consoles, so yeah. I can't, unless they, you know, port the games to a newer console, it's kind of, I don't really go back, I can't play the old games. So I like, I like to play a lot of Nintendo games like Metroid and Zelda, but I also like to play uh, Skyrim and uh, Fallout on the PlayStation, uh, those type of games as well. Good stuff. And, uh, yeah. Max, it's been an honor and a privilege. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure, Vic. Take care. Take care, my friend. Ciao.